What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. Did you know that the more mindfulness you practice in your daily life, the more pleasure you'll experience during sex? Research published in the Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy linked mindfulness and sex with greater relationship satisfaction and more positive self-esteem. I personally believe that finding ways to be more present can help us stay connected with our sexuality, our partner or partners, and most importantly, ourselves. I've heard from several folks recently who shared challenges related to not feeling present. They're feeling distracted or super stressed out for completely understandable reasons. With everything happening in the world lately and the messages we learn in our culture about productivity and so on, it's super easy to feel overwhelmed at times. So today you'll hear a related question from a listener named Penny, whose plate is incredibly full and She said she can't seem to settle into sex the way she's used to. If your mind buzzes during sex or other types of intimacy, I think you'll appreciate Dr. Megan's thoughts on that. Penny actually helped inspire this whole episode because here's another thing I've noticed from these emails I've been receiving. Many of them focus on sex, which makes sense. This is girl boner after all. And when we think about pleasure interference, it's easy to focus on an area of our lives where we hope for lots of that or on an area that affects not only us, but a partner. Sometimes though, it's the rest of our lives we need to focus on first. If we can't feel present outside of the bedroom, how are we supposed to suddenly be able to once we are getting busy? In that way, feeling frazzled during sex or too frazzled to even think about pleasure or sex or intimacy with ourselves or another person in the first place can serve as a sort of guidepost to bettering our whole lives. I hope you'll see what I mean as we go on. The same day that I received Penny's question, I spotted an Instagram post on Six Ways to Be Present by Claritha Yeager, a doctor of Chinese medicine, licensed acupuncturist, Reiki master teacher, and spiritual mentor in Chicago. She holds healing space for physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being, which all seemed so timely for all of us here in Girl Boner Land. I'm so grateful she agreed to chat with me about these six steps. I felt more peaceful just talking with her and hope you'll find similar peace in listening. While you're at all of this, I also recommend giving orgasmic meditation a try, setting aside time to really explore your body slowly, whether for five minutes or 20 or 30. You can work toys in for fun or add a massage candle to the mix for added warmth and relaxation. The Pleasure Chest offers a few options, including the Kama Sutra massage candle and the Raspberry Sex Pheromone Massage Candle to create the feel of a sensual vacation at home, which can be very mindful and fun and exotic feeling. Check out their weekend getaway items under featured collections. Head to thepleasurechest.com or click the link down in the show notes to start shopping. Now please enjoy the wisdom of Dr. Claritha Yeager. Before we got to her six steps, I asked her if she had grown up prioritizing awareness and learning to and stay more present, or if that has been more of a learning curve. 
Definitely a learning curve. Definitely a learning curve. I had horrible, horrible anxiety all through grad school. And it was about four years of Chinese medicine school. And so lots of testing and things like that and presenting. And the anxiety was kind of wrapped up in insomnia too. So I was I was a mess for, for those four years, for sure. And it wasn't until I had finished school that I started to look at why the anxiety was affecting me so much. And it was because I wasn't in the present moment. I was always worrying about what I did in the past, you know, just kind of ruminating, judging things or decisions that I've made. And then also kind of turning my attention to the future and worrying about what the next thing was. What do I need to prepare for? Just kind of always looking at what was coming down the pipe versus being in the present moment. And I so wish I had understood that better during my schooling, but it wasn't until after I got out and started to work with people more one-on-one that I was like, oh, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about mindfulness and just being in your body and being present. After I understood that, I started to seek out different teachers and different practices that were able to support me in that. And it basically took care of my anxiety and my insomnia in one shot. (laughs) I mean, it was practice. But once I understood how to better be in the moment and just not worry about the past or be anxious about the future, it really changed my energy. And I was able to relax a little bit more. And that sort of changed, I think, everything, every relationship in my life for sure. That's really beautiful. And I can see why your work comes across as so empathetic because you really understand this journey and the fact that you talked about it as a practice. That's something that I've noticed in your work and other work that I find really impactful is that it's not about this quick move, this hit a button, this just decide to stop worrying. Like it's an actual (laughs) practice, if only, right? That would be, that would be lovely, (laughs) but, (laughs) but it's not. Uh, So you shared some wonderful tips. I thought we could talk about some of them a bit more. The first you shared was watch your breath. We hear about breath being really important. What does that actually mean to, to watch your breath? Mm -hmm. Great question. Yeah, watching the breath is so important. And I put that as number one on the tips to being present because breath is life. And when I say watch your breath, I mean to pay attention to your breathing first and foremost and turn your lens inward and follow the air moving in and out of your body. So whether you want to do it with your eyes closed, you know, you can follow the air that goes in your nose and down your throat and into your lungs during the inhale. And then there's that split second where things turn and then you're exhaling and the air goes out of your lungs, you know, and out of your nose. And so it's that constant in and out is what gives us life. And I think it's really important too to breathe from the lower abdomen. They talk a lot about this in yoga, watching the belly rise and fall because you want to be breathing fully. You want to use the full expanse of your inhalation and your exhalation. And breathing from the lower abdomen is much better for the body and to relax that um, sympathetic nervous system, which is like the fight or flight system in our bodies. When we are breathing from our belly, we're able to like turn that system off or slow it down. 
a lot of us chest breathe, you know, um, one of my teachers used to call it little Dixie cups of breath, you know, it's just from the upper chest and you're just kind of, it's very shallow and it's very quick. And that is not good for our systems. It actually ramps our systems up and can create sort of like stress in the body, in the system, so to speak. So watching your breath, being mindful of the breath coming all the way in and all the way down, and then all the way from the lower belly, all the way back out can already start to slow your energetic system, slow your nervous system and help your body, your physiological body slow down. It was so interesting because as soon as you start talking about that, I think it's almost impossible to not start noticing your breath and and to start feeling more connected to your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just the awareness because we're breathing all the time, right? But oftentimes it's like something that you know, is on autopilot. Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank you, body. But um, it's really important to pay attention to that and how we are breathing when we are trying to slow down and be present. Yeah, for sure. And I can see why that would lead in so well to your next tip, which was to feel your body. Because as you're noticing your breath, you do start noticing your body. Talk about this mental scan that you mentioned. Mm, I kind of use the analogy of like a like a sonar beam. Those movies were like they're submarines and they send out this electrical pulse, this sonar wave to see what's in the vicinity, basically. And so mentally, I oftentimes I'll instruct my acupuncture patients to start at their head and send sort of like a sonar scan from their head through their throat, through their upper body, lower body, legs and feet and back up all the way back up to their head and to take note of how your body feels. And this brings more of your unconscious, uh, the way you're holding your body unconsciously into your awareness. So you start to notice like, oh, is my lower back tight? Am I sucking in my gut? Are my shoulders in my ears? A lot of people clenched their jaw sleeping and awake and they don't even realize it. And so you doing this mental scan, doing this, sending out this like, body sonar wave allows you to also become aware of the other like little kinks where the energy is tied up in your body in order for you to breathe into that area if you need to, or at least soften it to allow blood flow and energy to flow and just to further relax your body. That makes so much sense. And it's so interesting to me how we can have that tenseness and not even really realize it. I mean, obviously if we're asleep, we might not, but when we're doing the scan, if we have tenseness in our jaw, we might not even notice it. Does that happen a lot where people don't realize the tenseness they're holding until they check in? Yeah, uh, it does. Absolutely. I mean, I do it myself. I go through periods <laughs> when, um, you know, when I've got a little bit more on my plate sometimes and I'll start thinking about something and my jaw will just kind of tense up and go to one side because my thoughts are kind of, my thoughts are kind of tied up. So it's almost like your physical body holds your mental energy in certain areas and certain pockets of your body. And so when your mind gets a little tied up um, or stressed out, it's like that energy can also affect the physical body. And so people do it more than you think. It's information that our body's trying to send to us. And unless we're paying attention, we might not even get the signal that something's tight. Hmm. I love that idea that the body is sending us these messages because that allows us to then welcome them, to listen and to hone in, which I know is what all of this has so much to do with. 
reciting a word or mantra, of course, as a, as a writer, I'm big into mantras and, and sayings and phrases and like affirmations. And you even talk about a really simple, even a syllable. How mm-hmm. powerful can using mantras be? Yeah, super powerful. When we use a word or use a mantra or even a syllable on repeat, that repetition calms us down. It sort of like soothes the brain. And so whatever word or sound or mantra resonates with you the most, and I like the word resonates because the words that we speak hold a frequency, words are powerful, you have to pick something that resonates with you. And by repeating that, it will give your mind something to focus on to kind of bring you to the present moment. So it can be a simple like ohm counting is a really powerful way that um, my mom taught me to just kind of when she was teaching me how to drive a stick shift (laughs) back in the day, I would get a little anxious with like the traffic and things like that. Because, you know, driving a stick shift, there's like an extra step. And so she used to just be like, okay, just start counting, you know, one, two, three, and it would calm me down and bring me in the moment. And then it would help me release the anxiety about learning how to drive a stick shift. So, you know, counting single word, multiple words, it can be a mantra or an affirmation. I think it's important to find something that works for you because what works for another person might not necessarily work for you, but it does give the mind something to focus on. And so it calms you down and kind of like reins in your awareness into where you are now. I appreciate that so much. It's making me think of uh, grounding exercises that are used in therapy for like working through trauma or feeling, you know, activated by certain things where a phrase that certainly has been helpful for me, having something that's so meaningful, because as you said, it can in a way kind of retrain your brain or, or bring you back to, to your center for sure. The next step that you shared really makes me think because it's not the first thing we leap to when we think about silence is like listening to it. Usually we think silence means like almost <laughs> the opposite of listen. Uh, so listen to silence. There are very select areas, I think, where you can get in the country where there actually is total silence. I said it that way because oftentimes when we're busy, whether we're feeling anxious or sad or worried or overwhelmed, we're not aware of our environment. And whether it's silent or not. I say this a lot to patients and clients. Notice what you notice and identify what you hear because you're always picking up information. Our bodies are these wonderful biomechanisms that offer us so much information internally and externally. And whether you hear traffic or birds outside your window or the wind moving through the trees or the hum of your refrigerator, there's an amazing amount of information that is always around us. It's amazing that our body can pick up so much of it. And it's also amazing how we don't acknowledge it a lot of the time, especially when we get tied up in our world and what we're doing and our to-do list and things like that. So it's my encouragement for when you're feeling like you need to be present is to just closing your eyes helps and just tuning into what sounds are available to you in your environment and actually kind of like soak them in and take the time to, to listen. Mm. That's really lovely. I love the idea of observing what the sounds are because Also, when things are really hectic and we're hearing a lot of sounds and noise, if they feel stressful, I imagine observing them instead and going, oh, there's a sound (laughs) might actually be soothing. Yeah. Yeah. Observing the sound kind of like 
not letting it, not engaging with it and not, like not judging it and attaching to it really helps to just kind of put you in that observer phase. Yeah, I could see that. The next step that you mentioned is one that I really love personally. I think I've mentioned <laughs> to you that I love active meditation, for example. So you said to focus on movement. Tell us about that, what you mean by movement and how that can bring us into the present. Yeah. It's kind of like listening, you know, oftentimes more than not, we're not paying attention to our own body, to how our own body might be moving or where our body is in space, especially simple movements that we do repeatedly, I think can really help to bring us present if we turn all of our awareness onto what we're doing. So whether it's like washing your hands to like brushing your teeth, you know, do you brush your teeth the same way every day? Most people do. Putting on your shoes, like really put your awareness in your feet and really feel like, feel what it means to put on your socks, slip your foot into the shoe, the additional tension as you tie the laces. You know, if you just like kiss your partner goodbye, they're going off to work every day. Like really put your attention onto what you're doing, slowing down and focusing on the movement takes you out of your head and puts you in the moment. And we get so many opportunities to do this every day. And there's a lot of things that we take for granted that we do every day. And so if we just come to the moment with more presence using all of our senses, it can be a totally different experience. That's another one of those things that kind of like the holding tenseness in our bodies, I feel like we can be not even aware that we're moving, you know, like there've been times where I'm really busy with work and then I'm like, wait, did I eat lunch? Did I give my dog the right treat? You know, and you did a physical thing and it's amazing. We can be that disconnected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I did that like the other day with my keys. Cause I was like looking at them through the mail and like doing different things. And then I'm like, where did I drop my keys? I put them in the same spot most days, but I really was, my attention was so focused on the other things that I was looking at. I think I was looking at mail and my phone and whatever, you know, five other things mm -hmm. at the same time. I was just like, wow, I was really not present to that. I have no recollection of putting my keys in this other spot. It's amazing how our brain is able to navigate the focus versus non-focus. Yeah, absolutely. Your last tip that you shared in that post was to get out in nature, which feels incredibly therapeutic right now. If you have any access, I think we've all been relying on any chance we get if we can, but I think it's also something that we can take for granted and, and maybe not get the most out of. So how does this tie into presence? Yeah. I know you love nature and the outdoors and the sunshine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love, I love being outside. I was raised in the Pacific Northwest and you know, there's tons of nature there and now I'm in Chicago. So it takes a little bit more planning to get out in nature. And it's so important because nature is such a natural reset for the body because being surrounded by large forests of trees or large bodies of water allows you to soak up all of the they're called negative ions that nature produces. When we're around our electronics and things there, we get a lot of positive ions, which even though it's positive ions, it's not the best for our physical body. <laughs> so being in nature kind of helps to counteract all of that, which is super helpful at a cellular level. You know, being in the dirt, putting your feet on the ground, your bare feet on the ground is really great for grounding your energy, you know, just the energy that moves in your body because we're like large appliances. And when there's a little too much energy in our body, it's helpful to 
have a grounding cord to disperse that energy. And we, we can do that with our bare feet on the ground. And being in the sunshine, you know, helps to regulate our sleep-wake cycle. You know, aside from just the beauty and those physical benefits, there's so much more information for all of our senses to absorb when we're outside, all five of our senses. It also seems like time slows down. If you can remember, like if you were a kid and you grew up near a lake or a beach and spending the day outside, it seemed like two days or three days, you know, it seemed like so long. The hours were stretched, whereas nowadays where most people work inside, it's like the day goes by so fast. It's so different the way we perceive time when we're in nature versus when we're in a completely man-made environment. And so nature is really therapeutic for us. I hadn't even thought about that, the impact it has on our time perception. I hear so many people say, oh, the time's flying by, the days are flying by in a really, almost a way of grieving. Like, I can't believe so much time went by and I didn't get to experience it fully. So I could see that being a really helpful tool to feel like you got more out of your day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It always bums me out when I get towards the end of the summer. And, um, you know, if I've been working too much and been inside too much, and then all of a sudden, the leaves start to change. And I'm like, oh, I missed it. And it always kind of brings me back to the present. And I'm like, okay, I need to really, you know, observe more of this and be more present to the change of season. Every season, I just get reminded of like the preciousness of the time that goes by and how spending time outside is really kind of really like reflects that. Yeah, absolutely. I love that more tools and more listening. I hear there's listening in all of these, isn't there? Like a, a <laughs> sense of observing everything. It's like listening even to the seasons and nature and all of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's all connected. So if somebody wants to create a stillness practice, maybe they've heard some of these tips before, or they're generally aware of like, you know, it'd be good for me to be more mindful or more present, but they really want to intentionally create a practice, especially in these times that we're in currently, what would you recommend? You can make it as difficult or as easy <laughs> as you want. It's not necessary to spend two hours a day on a mountaintop to just find stillness. It can be five minutes a day sitting in your car. I think finding some alone time is like the first step in that. So whether you can fit it in your day prior to the rest of your house waking up, if you've got other people in your home, or if it's like during lunch, it's important to carve out time for yourself. And then depending on what you feel resonates with you the best, you can do just breathing. You know, that's a really simple way to start is just putting one hand on your heart, one hand on your lower belly and just observing your breath. There are also a ton of meditation apps that offer a wide variety of things from guided meditations to very common sounds that are soothing to the brain, like a mountain stream or like birds chirping, that type of thing. Um, Insight Timer is one that I recommend to a ton of people. It's a free app and it has a ton of opportunities there. I also have a five-minute guided grounding meditation if anybody is interested in that. But I think it's so important to carve out time to reconnect with that pure essence of who you are and that larger aspect of you that is divine. Because it's hard to do that when you're, we're so externally focused like we are in our current culture. And knowing your innermost self, I think, is the best way to sort of get that inner guidance, which is priceless. And you have all of the equipment, your body and your brain are all you really need to do that. So 
determining what is your next step and what is in alignment with your highest and greatest good is one of the biggest benefits from doing even five minutes a day on a regular basis. Beautiful. I love how it doesn't have to be this huge, overwhelming amount of time because I think most of us, even when we feel really busy or overwhelmed, five minutes we can, <laughs> we can handle. I wonder if you could share a little bit about the impact that these practices have had in your life. Thinking back to when you were in grad school compared to life now, what are some of the biggest rewards that you've experienced that people might be able to look forward to? Oh my gosh, it's it's a complete 180. I didn't have any sort of stillness practice or meditation practice or silence or pick your word <laughs> that you want to call it. When I was going through that really anxious time and not sleeping, I do have a daily practice now. Sometimes it's 10 minutes, sometimes it's 40 minutes. It kind of depends. The biggest shift I've noticed in how I feel is less anxiety and better sleep and being able to be an observer of my thoughts and less reactionary. What I mean when I say that is that when, you know, I have a business and we live in a world with people, so there's people, <laughs> all sorts of people. And, you know, when there are things that are alarming or like stressful or things that I don't agree with, I've been able to better be an observer of my thoughts and discern what is needed to be done next in order for me to make a better choice of action for the next thing that's supposed to come. And so it's allowed me to respond to things from a higher and like better perspective versus react to things. And I think that's pretty powerful when you kind of learn to do that for yourself, because that's what translates to a better like experience of the world around you. On the other side of it is a more connected relationship with myself and understanding like the purpose of why I'm here and how I'm supposed to support people and and just how to be a better human <laughs> and be open to the experiences and the path that I'm that I'm supposed to walk while I'm here. Um, I've really gotten a better understanding of like who I am and I talk a lot about being sovereign and like learning the sovereignty of just being me. And so I think that is available to everybody. Such powerful benefits there, being a better human, staying open to our own purpose, understanding who we are and what our purpose might be. And I love the word sovereign, that sovereignty. It means supreme power or authority and giving that to ourselves in these areas seems so important. To download Claritha's free five-minute grounding meditation, see the link down in the show notes. This week's listener question comes from Penny, who wrote this. I always had a high sex drive in my 20s and enjoyed very pleasurable sex. Now I have a very demanding work life and my partner and I take care of an elderly relative who lives with us. With all of that going on, it feels like I can never settle into sex. It's not that I don't desire it, more like my mind is buzzing 24-7 when we're intimate, it's like only part of me is there and I find myself grieving how it used to be. Penny, thank you so much for your question. Here's what Dr. Megan Fleming of greatlifegreatsex.com had to say. Penny, I love your question. And in part, it's just to recognize how as we get older, we're often taking on more responsibilities, both at work and in this case, also taking care of an elderly relative. And it's just to appreciate that probably at the end of the day, you're like exhausted and sex is the last thing on your mind. And so it's so important that we realize in a sense those conditions for sex, being relaxed, sort of being the foundation of that all. And how do you conserve energy during the day? Or how do you sort of, as I refer to it, keep your sexy pilot light on? 
on, remembering all sort of the things that are your own mental erotic turn-ons, as well as realizing that you know, mindfulness is an incredibly helpful tool. And so Lori Brado, who's done over a decade of research in looking at uh, mindfulness in terms of sexuality, and her book that I'd recommend is Better Sex Through Mindfulness, How Women Can Cultivate Desire, because the idea is it can be cultivated, right? That it's not necessarily, again, responsive desire. It's not necessarily coming from a place of already wanting, but when we are in our bodies, present in the moment, it's sort of what do you notice the sensation, right? Sensation play, temperature play, how to bring yourself back to your body. And I sometimes say a little slap or a little pinch, those can be really helpful. Like talk about bringing you right back into the moment, but really creating and cultivating that practice. And I generally suggest you do that initially outside of sex. So common ones are sort of, we call it the body scan. So sort of head to toe, where do you notice you might be holding tension in your body? And again, does it have a color? Does it have a shape? Really trying to just notice and can that energy move and focusing on your breath. Another practice that's often common is sort of a food meditation. By that, I mean, sort of taking like a raisin or something that's got texture and it's just really that savoring process and bringing all five senses into it in terms of the texture, the smell, the taste, and just really slowing things down to be more present. Because I think the more you practice your presence, the more you're going to be able to cultivate the sensation in your body. Sensate focus, which is based on the work of Masters and Johnson, might also be a really helpful tool. Because in that, we take, as a sex therapist making the recommendation, all penetrative sex off the table because we really just want you to not be anticipating what's going to happen, right? It's not about how I'm feeling this moment or I should be feeling or I feel like I'm not feeling it soon enough. It really is about bringing yourself into the body and what it's like to give and to receive pleasure. And another, you know, recommendation I would also make is looking at the book of Emily Nagoski, Come As You Are, because she talks a lot about both context, the specific context that we're in, makes a big difference in terms of our ability to get turned on, as well as sort of from the dual control model, this idea that we have both accelerators and brakes. And I imagine the responsibility in your day, your exhaustion is probably a big break that is getting in the way of your sexuality as you've known it and you're longing for. And so that's the best part is you know more as possible. And it's really about creating those conditions. Again, always going back to rested and relaxed is the foundation of arousal. And, you know, how do you conserve energy? How do you um, prioritize sexy time? Again, capitalizing more on what we refer to as responsive desire versus spontaneous, meaning you're not already coming from a place of wanting, but you're creating conditions that you're open and receptive or willing and through touch in the body and what feels good, exploring your turn-ons. Because I always sort of say, it's like, what's one small thing my body can say yes to? Because usually once there's pleasure in the body, it opens up more and more yeses, sometimes really small ones. But it's about that mindfulness, that noticing, that paying attention and cultivating the turn-ons both mentally and physically. So as always, would love to hear how it goes. Thanks so much, Dr. Megan. What's one small thing your body can say yes to? I love that idea. And again, it doesn't have to be sexual. And I love this idea of maybe putting sex of certain types, you know, off the table if it's feeling stressful and really understanding that pleasure is so powerful and important and that it starts in other areas of our lives first, typically. Although sometimes it's 
sex and orgasm that get us to release the stress, you know, to get to a a more calm and and centered place. So it's really finding what works for us personally. I also want to mention, Penny, that your feelings are so valid. I'm really glad you're letting yourself feel the grief you mentioned. When we offer ourselves compassion around changes in our sexual desire, I think everything goes so much better. In our modern world, it's easy to feel ashamed for not being present enough during sex as though that somehow makes us less valuable as sexual beings, which of course it doesn't. We also know that you can enjoy very pleasurable sex even if you aren't feeling completely in the moment. Again, sometimes it's arousal and orgasm that helps us get to that more mindful place. I hope this episode has been helpful for you and anyone else feeling a little bit scattered or who wants to just feel more centered and grounded. If you have a question you would like explored on the show, please hit me up at the link in the show notes. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I would so appreciate it if you would let your friends know about it. Ratings and reviews are also so helpful. Regardless, thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast, brand, movement, and book series at girlboner.org, and more about Period at periodnetwork.com. 